Welcome to The Home Building Hero, where we help you become the hero of your new home by providing you all the information that you need. No matter if you're an industry pro, you're building, or you're buying, we got you covered here at The Home Building Hero. We're coming to you live today from the LP Studios here in Wisconsin. I'm your host, David Bellman, president of Bellman Homes. Thank you for tuning in today. All right, I am here today with Matt Gorgolinski at Big League Talent. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Home Building Hero. Thanks for having me on, David. Pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to kind of cue this up, Matt and I uh, communicated via LinkedIn. He actually sent me a pretty cool little video and uh, as a listener of the podcast and really liked the episode uh, that I did about talking about how we get more kids involved in the building trades. And so I thought that was pretty neat how you reached out. And uh, I know you had some some things that you wanted to share on here and some some ways to add extra value, especially for people in the building industry and people in the trade. So uh, with that, welcome to the podcast, Matt. And uh, uh, yeah, what, what do you feel like sharing about that? What, what, what drew you to this topic? I mean, the industry in general of construction is something I've had a love for for a while. Um, and I also serve AEC, architecture, engineering, construction, day in and day out at my recruitment firm. So long story short, I mean, my dad's the general manager of a $25 million a year or so construction company in California. They do home renovation, you know, in-home sales and stuff like that. So that was my first job ever was actually selling in home for my dad. And uh, it was a really cool learning experience. I learned a ton there. And then one thing led to another. I had a digital marketing business that was helping home improvement companies do marketing and lead generation and sales automation, all that good stuff. So I got in deep, kind of, I guess you could say deep into home improvement and construction. I just, I fell in love with it. It's such an awesome industry in so many ways. And um, I just think that this episode that we're about to talk about, there's so much opportunity for give back because almost every company I talk to, whether they want to use a recruiter or not, that's fine. They want to recruit top talent and not everyone feels 100% confident in their strategy to recruit top talent, source top talent, interview them, write strong offers and what a full process looks like A to Z. So that's what I'd love to talk about today is just educating people who would like to have a bulletproof recruitment process or, or to level up or however they see it. Um, that's a little bit about me and construction. No, that's perfect. Uh, thank you for sharing your background in it. And, you know, it always helps when you have a background in the industry, even though you're kind of more focusing now on the recruitment side, I think that that that's powerful to have. And, you know, I think one of the, the challenges that we see, especially in the building industry is that, you know, builders, contractors, we're not necessarily really good at using um, some of the, the technology and the platforms that are out there. And a lot of times our recruitment processes are, are kind of lacking. Uh, so what do, what do you see out there? Um, and why do you think builders and contractors are, are that way? I can't speak. I mean, I can't, I, I and you both might not want to speak for everybody because you have an awesome LinkedIn presence. I, you can't speak for all contractors because your presence, I think is actually phenomenal. So at least well, one out there. Appreciate that. Really well, <laughs> And um, at the end of the day, some contractors or people in the trades are doing online, social or branding, whatever you want to call it, I guess, to another level than other people are doing it. Now, people are starting to see the effects of that more as recruiting and talent acquisition and growth starts to become more competitive. The 1% one, 1 tweaks stand people out. They, they stand companies out from the pack, right? So a 1% tweak of having branding and putting out your company value proposition and putting out awesome jobs. It helps people get to know you, whereas some companies just aren't doing that. And especially if you're a smaller company trying to compete against a bigger company, you know, having a brand and a life to your company really helps attract talent at the end of the day. And that's just from a branding perspective. We're talking about like outward, what, what does the market see when we post? 
But then it also comes to the really important part from a recruiting perspective, which is how do I build real relationships with the type of people who I'd want to be affiliated with, whether it be in my company or other winners I want to be around to really make the most of LinkedIn, for example. LinkedIn is the biggest business network in the world, but people think it's untapped, right? So many people in construction aren't even going after it. And oh it's, yeah, it's and so let's talk about that for a second. So like with LinkedIn, you know, the perception is out there, it's just for hiring, but that's not really the case, is it? Well, definitely not. I mean, it can definitely be a huge business development tool, building relationships with other people who you want to do business with. If you're looking for, for example, BD, that type of play, definitely valuable there. I, I, I would urge people who watch this to think in your head, who is my ideal prospect? And then do a LinkedIn search by title and by area. And you'll see so a lot of times hundreds or thousands of prospects that you can connect with and build relationships right with right there. And then also in terms of branding, it's not just for hiring, but it's everything the before and after hiring. It's how do you attract the right people to your company? How do you put out the right message? Hiring is a small piece, but there's a lot more value that can be, um, I guess, attained from social media. Sure. Yeah. And I think you, you've touched on something that, you know, is important to me as well, and that, you know, people don't just buy the company, they buy people. And so, you know, there's always sort of this, and especially in construction, I think it happens more specifically where, um, you know, it's, it's a, a, an older demographic as far as people that own these companies, they don't necessarily embrace the technology. And I, I know from some of the other builders that I talked to, they're like, why do you post so much stuff on there? Why, like, gosh, you're everywhere. Why do you do that? And it's like, well, because that, that's exactly why, right? Because people buy people and there's a value to having the personal brand as well as attached to a faceless company, in my opinion. I mean, that's a, that's a real life case study right there. I mean, you're, we've seen the growth of your companies and your success and your traction and you're telling us right here it works. So, I mean, regardless of what I, the recruiters say, I know it works and I've helped companies implement this type of stuff, but you're the builder, right? Like you're coming from the trenches telling everybody, hey, LinkedIn does work and it is valuable and it does provide better top of funnel access to your company and exposure. So powerful. And I think too, you know, when you have a good solid presence online, it gives you, um, it makes the sales process and stuff easier as well, because people already kind of feel like they know you or they know what you're about, or they, they, they feel a connection to your company, right? Like some people go buy a Tesla because they think what Elon Musk is doing is cool. Right. And you know, they don't know him, but they know of him or what he's doing. And, you know, it's the same with, you know, Tim Cook and Apple or, you know, some of these other tech companies where, you know, whenever they try out a new product, what happens? They don't, they don't just drop the product. They have this thing and they come out and they talk about it and, you know, they, they, they attach that person to it. And I think mm -hmm. it's, you know, more effective. Sure. And it also goes back to something that is so true in sales. It's called the seven hour rule. So I worked for a startup accelerator for a while where we help companies scale from basically the ground up. And the seven hour rule was something that we referred to as, let's just say someone's never met you. Let's say a candidate, for example, has never met you. They don't know your brand. They don't know you, but they come across you online. And you, this is the type of person you want to work with in some fashion. They know zero about you. And so they have like pretty much no connection to you other than what they've seen so far. Before you convert this person into a client, for example, if you're selling a high ticket service, you want them to get to know you for at least seven hours before they end up getting on the phone or doing business with you, because then they know you, they're bought into your value proposition, they understand who you are. And that seven hours, it doesn't have to be seven hours, it's sort of a round number, but the idea of people getting to know you and being indoctrinated to what you believe before you speak with them is so powerful. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, that just kind of makes the... Uh the power of social media and podcasts and all that kind of stuff even more important because a lot of people can start to fill fill that uh, void right there without actually 
you know, physically being in front of those people. And then, you know, obviously you start the conversation and then you, you move forward through that and, and build that, that connection. So I love that. That's a great, great nugget. Thanks for sharing that. So kind of moving back to, to the platforms and social media, how do you suggest uh, contractors, builders, people in the trades use these platforms more effectively? It's a really good question. And I think it really just comes down to reverse engineering what the person wants to see, who you want to put a message out to. And of course, it has to align with your brand. If it doesn't align, then you shouldn't put it out there. But you for, you want to reverse engineer the objections of why someone wouldn't want to work with you. Think about what would make someone love working with you. Showcase happy employees, success stories of employees, project success stories, um, company highlights, um, things about your culture. Highlight the fun things that your team does. If you take your team to a a luncheon once every month, then take pictures of the luncheon, take pictures of the vacation you take your team on, showcase that you're building something that people should want to be a part of if they're the right fit. Because in, in outbound marketing, it's really cool. I have a podcast too for my, for, my, for our recruitment agency and recruiters before we- well, Okay, wait, you got to drop the name of that now so people know what it uh, is. <laughs> there we go. It's the Big League Recruiting Podcast. And basically okay. we'll have recruiters before they apply to work with us. They'll actually go through our podcast for a while and get to know us. And they'll say, hey, I actually love your podcast. Got to know you. It's a very similar idea here. So um, super powerful. Fantastic. That's great. Thanks for sharing that as well. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about LinkedIn. So what do you think are some of the best practices or some strategies that a particular you know firm can employ to you know uh, not only reach people but then you know kind of build that connection and get them to kind of raise their hand and say hey I might be a candidate for you guys. It depends on the situation because there's a lot of different situations you'll find yourself in. So you want to have sort of a different approach depending where you're at. The first is, is top of funnel branding, right? You know, top of funnel branding doesn't hurt. It helps people when you connect with them to get to know you without having to have a phone call almost, right? It's like they get to know you without all the work that's typically involved. So what that, you mean uh, by top of funnel branding, that's that's just kind of what we were just talking about, the, the social polls, like showing the behind the scenes of your company, showing the work you do, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So be before people really start getting into your recruitment funnel, what they're able to see online before they really dive in, they go through interviews, you start going back and forth directly. It's, it's what they can see that's front facing uh, and draws people into the top of the funnel, essentially. So the next step is going to be definitely the most important step, in my opinion. It's pretty hand in hand with content because they, they, they pretty much um, they ignite each other. But when you're able to connect with really targeted people in your space, it doesn't have to be for now. And it doesn't have to be the position you're hiring for. And the stat is something like 80% of top candidates get their next job from a referral. So if you think about that, they're not on Indeed, they're not on the job boards typically, they're already successful and they get their next job because someone says, hey, you know, John or Sally Smith, I have a really good opportunity that I think would be perfect for you. Would you be open to check it out? And that's what a recruiter does too. And that's what companies can actually do. My point is, if you intentionally connect with other leaders in the space, let's just say hypothetically, you wanted to recruit a really good PM, then you can connect with senior PMs in the area or people who lead PMs just in general, and you can make a connection with them. When the time comes, you might not need to hire them, but you can reach out to them and let them know, hey, our team's looking to make a big hire. I'm not looking to poach your people or anything like that. I'm just looking to make a connection with some really awesome project managers in the area who specialize in luxury home builds. Do you by chance know anybody who might be looking for their next opportunity or would be open to it? So having that type of conversation and working on the referral, not just grinding on people directly to be a prospect is important. And then sure, also connecting sense. with people who are direct prospects is super important as well, because you don't have to poach someone directly or go to someone directly in order to recruit them to your company. You can connect with them. They can see your company's content. They can start falling in love with your brand, and then they can actually reach out to you. 
And the more people who are hyper-targeted and are qualified, the type of person you want to connect with, the more likelihood you have for them to reach back out to you when you post that job post on LinkedIn or when you post, you know, a, an ask for referrals, if that makes sense. Sure. No, that makes sense. And, you know, I think it's, you know, building that relationship. Uh, so I, I love the referral piece of it. And we've brought people onto our company uh, because of that referral where they've had, hey, I've had a friend or I went to, to school with this person. We studied the same thing. And, you know, I think they'd be a good fit here. Um, you know, that in general, those tend to work out pretty well. And uh, at least in my experience, and the other referral piece that um, I, I've had, which I think uh, works as well is that we do, uh, our company does a lot of stuff with the tech school in the area. And so we give first and we give them education, we come in and um, you give them real world examples and things. So we, I do a real estate class, I do a, a construction class where we bring them out to the job site and they see the framer and then they see the finished carpenter. And uh, we do a design class. We bring the design students out and walk them through construction sites. And the teachers love it because like, okay, I finally get them out of the classroom. They can actually see something happening. Yeah. But for us, it's all I have to do is call that teacher and say, hey, I need somebody. What do you, who you got? And at least I've gotten a good, they're, they're going to give me their top one or two people in their class. Now they may not be a fit for what I'm looking for, but to me, that's that's an awesome lead, right? Huge. And at the end of the day, too, we have to remember iron sharpens iron at the end of the day. Winners typically hang around winners, quote unquote winners. So if you have a big pool of people who you know who are great at what they do, they probably know other people who are great at what they do, too. Um, so it's really good to make that connection and build a relationship, whether or not you're going to get something from it up front. It's not about what you get in the moment. It's about building a long term relationship like you're doing, providing real value to somebody and then getting it back. You know? Sure. No, it makes sense. Um, so, you know, there's the whole kind of getting people to raise their hand, making people aware that you have an opening or an opportunity in your industry. Obviously one of the challenges I think especially is for maybe not a builder per se, but maybe more the tradespeople, right? Cause that's really where, where this conversation started was, you know, how does a guy who's, you know, on a job site most of the day, you know, and probably doesn't use a lot of social media, how, how does that work? How, how can you help them or what would help them a lot? Like even whether it's a plumber, you know, carpenter, electrician, that type of thing. I think the answer is actually very similar to what I said before. It's, it's just a lot about relationships and referrals and building the right relationships. It's funny when I was selling real estate, I would be out in front of a house, just showing a home, a buyer, a house. And I would come outside and see someone doing construction across the street. And I'd see him doing windows for, this actually happened one time. I saw the guy doing windows with his crew. And I went up to him and I said, how's it going, man? You know, like, uh, would love to learn more about your business. Do you have a card you can give me? And that guy actually ended up being a referral for my dad's company to, to go do construction for him. And I just saw oh, the guy outside awesome. his house, right? Yep. Um, and that's just, that's just a tiny example. If you imagine what happens if you actually intentionally build a sphere of referral pe people in your sphere, then what I just, what happened on accident for me can happen consistently and it can almost be predictable. The more connections you have, the more people you know, who know somebody else. Okay, awesome. I like it. And here's um, the thing, I don't want to leave this off. Job boards are also something that can help a lot in the trades. I've seen job boards work really well in the trades for some people like Indeed or Craigslist or Zip. These type of things um, for trades positions can definitely work. Uh, we don't do a ton of it. We, we, we were more proactive and we don't do as much job posting because our clients do that. But sometimes it could work really well actually on the trade side, typically less on the white collar side, but you can always get lucky with a diamond in the rough, no doubt. Sure. Okay. I like it. So, so we talked a little bit about like the outreach piece, but what about the actual process of recruiting somebody, you know, the couple of years ago before the market got really hot, you know, it was a little bit more intentional 
and longer process and and uh, maybe this is a two-part question. So one is obviously letting me know about how and the audience know how how much shorter that process probably has to be right now. And then also like, why do you need to have a process and how does that make a difference in, in your recruitment efforts? I think you don't really know how much of a difference it makes until you see what it's like having a process or you see someone else who has a process and you're able to compare it to what you have or you start dealing with a really significant pain in your company that forces you to implement a process like this. Like you said before, it was before it was more, um, you know, the, the power was in the hands of the business owner or the company, right? And, and they kind of had the pick of the land of what candidates they wanted to choose. And now the tides have turned and candidates are starting to feel like that in opposed to, to companies in some respects. And definitely, I believe it has to be a win-win for anybody to make a good hire, but it's just the reality of the market because it's so competitive. So, I mean, when, it, when you break it down at the end of the day, there's something, there's a step-by-step -step process that is really important. And when you have it, things just become more repeatable, just like in anything. If you have a process that you can follow consistently, things become more repeatable. And the process that I found has worked best is very intentional and it starts before you ever put up a job post before you ever write a job description and i'm gonna i'll just give you a step-by-step -step, you know yeah i love it yeah let's 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 give the cliff notes version for everybody here i love it let's do it so first we're going to start and we're going to get all the decision makers or the stakeholders who are going to be involved in the hiring process in one place whether it be in a zoom meeting or whether they collaborate on a doc or however it happens Teams work differently, but we want to get everyone on the same page about what the outcome is we want with this hire and what are the, the logistics and the details around this. So what is our salary going to be? What are the skill sets we want to be, we want to have with this person? What level of experience do we want? What outcome do we want after a year to two years that will define this person as successful, as a true success? So when you're able to start thinking about these types of things, including what does our interview process actually look like, who's going to represent us in the first interview, who's going to really kill it with representing our, our employee value proposition to this candidate, and who's going to vet well up front, who's going to be step two, who's going to be step three, who's going to write the offer, and who's going to take the candidate through onboarding and, and actually bring them into the company successfully. So in order to actually do all that successfully, it has to start by knowing what you want. And I think so many people, they don't realize it, but they don't exactly know what they want. And so when they see that awesome person, they're not able to pull the trigger because there's indecision or one person on the team has a completely different idea than someone else on the team, which causes a clash. And then it causes you to lose the candidate when it's not easy to find good candidates. If you find sure. a couple of good candidates during a search, they're, they're pretty valuable. Right so now. I really so, like the, the clarity piece at the beginning. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a lot of companies that are just like, well, we just need a body, get a body in, but you got to know kind of, it's like a football team, right? You, this is the type of athlete I want, right? Like I want a tall, fast guy for the outside or whatever. I want a small, quick guy for the inside. It, it's kind of similar, right? You, you know, identify what type of person you want to bring onto your team. I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So what other, what, what other steps do you have? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, what other steps do you have? Yeah. So once you're done getting everyone on the same page, then we want to write a compelling job description. So a lot of times what we see is people will just copy paste the job description they found on Indeed or they'll whip up something that's pretty basic just about what the company wants. But if you want to write a really compelling job description, you should stand out and you should make it about really upfront what is in it for the candidate at the top of the JD. And then as you go, of course, you want to work in what experience you want, what success looks like in this role, what are the what is the scope of work really going to be so you can attract the right people. But it has to be candidate centric at the top from what we found to really have that impact of what what does the candidate want to know when they look at this and reverse engineer that and then move forward. So 
once you've wrote a compelling job description to draw these people in, then the next step is, like we talked about earlier, building relationships, posting job ads, hitting the referral network. However you go about recruiting, it's about getting the people into the recruitment funnel, right, to start those interviews. So that's there's obviously many ways to do that, and um, we talked about that today. Um, and then the next step is having interviews and hosting the interviews and having a smooth process. Ideally, we want our interview process to be from anywhere from less than a week to under two weeks. And if it starts going past two weeks, it's just candidates start to wonder. And here's the thing, here's the reality of what happens if your process isn't fast and why it's valuable to actually have one. It's not because the people on the recruitment front just want you to hire people yesterday. That's not why actually. It's because if you don't take action on people, on good candidates, strong candidates, like for example, let's hypothetically say I prospected a candidate who they had a job, they approached me about wanting to make a career move, they were the ideal fit, and they hadn't really been thinking about making a move, they're not on the job boards, it's just more of a passive search. They come to me, I introduce them to a client, the client's like, I love this person, Matt, and I want to take them through the interview process, we want to give them an offer. If they go to, for example, interview one, interview two, they love each other, then there's a two week break between interview two and interview three, then the candidate's thinking, are they not interested in me? What's going on? I mean, I've already kind of made a decision that I'm gonna move. So then they start thinking, I'm not the one sending them to another company. They start thinking, hi, I might as well start looking at my options. Then they go on the job boards, then they reach out to other companies. And then all of a sudden it could be a candidate you lost or you're competing in an area you didn't have to necessarily compete in before because now other sure. yeah you could have had them already and, and yeah now you got maybe two other offers and, and now you got to even pay them more than what you, what you were planning on right because it's so tight out there especially for um, premium type people so that makes sense um no i like it and then um so so we talked a little bit about timing in the process so you know i, I think it sounded from what you said try and keep it under a week so you can still have a multiple step process but you just got to try and keep the decision-making part of it to, you know, under two weeks, ideally a week, correct? Definitely. I mean, and some, some companies we work with have two to three interviews in a day. They'll meet with the hiring manager in the morning. They'll meet with the PM and a superintendent later in the day. They'll meet with the C-level executives the next day. Like if you can have multiple interviews in one day. And some of our clients are doing on-site interviews. Some people call it like a ground or day zero interview. Well, they'll have them. They'll take them through a day in the life. And that's really showing someone what, what work's going to be like instead of just telling them. So in terms of setting proper expectations, that's really powerful. No, I like that. And are you seeing a migration to utilizing more of the technology, people doing more interviews via Zoom or um, you know, uh, uh, Microsoft Teams, all that kind of stuff? Pretty much everyone we work with is open to a first round Zoom interview. Now, I think wow, okay. almost everyone prefers being in person. Pretty much everyone prefers it, but being that, you know, we want to have a tight process and sometimes timing doesn't line up. We want to get that first interview and the introductory call out of the way or not out of the way, but under our belt so that we can find out if it makes sense to move forward. So second interview, third interview, especially typically in person, um, even okay. if they have to fly them out from another area. So that's actually interesting because I was thinking maybe it would make, make sense the other way where you, you know, meet them first in person, but then, you know, if you need a quick follow-up, you could do Zoom, but you're saying it's probably the other way um, to, to do it is, um, you know, just like you, you described to do it the opposite way. It just depends. It depends on the setup of your company and your hiring process. Because if, if you think about it, if your hiring manager is not the end-all be-all decision maker, but this he or she is not the decision maker, but they need to vet the candidates to find out if it makes sense to talk with the executive level, then that's what, where they would do more of a Zoom. And the in-person meeting would be typically with the executives or whoever makes the final call. Um, and if the, the order can be flipped, definitely. So Okay. No so it's not a hard rule necessarily. No, 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 no. Not at okay. all. It's, no, definitely not. Um, so... 
you know, we kind of talked a little bit about the recruitment piece, but the other kind of elephant in the room for a lot of companies is, especially with the labor pool being tight, is keeping people. And how do you keep them and, and keep them satisfied? And, um, you know, obviously there's raising wages, which is one one thing, but, you know, that in a lot of industries it's competitive and there's only so much you can go. Or, you know, if you have a company that's a little more mature and you've had people that are there a long time, you know, the wages might already be close to topped out. So what are some suggestions to, to keep them there? Well, it really comes back to treating each person like a person, I believe, and, and having real candid conversations that are transparent with your candidates up front. And I, when we interview a candidate, a lot of people want to have these interrogation style interviews, but we have what's called career conversations. So we have real transparent conversations asking them, what are they looking for right now that they're not getting from the current team they're with if they're employed or that they didn't get from their last position? What does their ideal career path look like? What does their experience look like? And how does that align with what they want next and what they want in their future? And when we're able to have this information, we know if our client can align them with that or not. So that helps us only send our clients good candidates. And if you're not, if I'm not in the equation, that helps you know when I'm speaking to a candidate up front in our first conversation, how to transparently have a conversation to uncover their goals, figure out if your company can help them achieve their goals, and then see if it makes sense to move forward. Because if you already, it's like dating. If you already know up front, you're not going to be a fit in six months, then you know, some people would argue why date and some people would say date. Um, but in the case of hiring, you don't want to have people turn over. Um, so it would be a tough date if they left. So just being transparent and candid up front is um, super important. And then actually following through. I think those two things are so important. Getting to know what the ideal path looks like for this person, letting them know that you can provide that if you can, and then actually sticking to your word as long as the candidate does what they say they'll do. Um, and then, of course, there are fringe benefits like, you know, time off, vacation time, remote work. Like there are so many different fringe benefits that you can do other than just raising wages. For example, some people are taking a twenty-five dollars to $50,000 pay cut to go from working in the field to working at home, working a much more, I guess, relaxed schedule where they don't have to go into the office. It's not as labor intensive, but they can relax and they're less stressed. So it's person to person. Different things make different people happy. Yeah. And I mean, what do you think is the shift uh, from people working from home now, like permanently? Um, I mean, if you could just guess, or maybe you have some percentages from you know pre-pandemic to now, what do you think is the percentage of people that are working from home, you know, before versus now? I don't know exact numbers, being honest, but um, I do know it's a big shift and it's starting to go back. Like you just saw yesterday, Tesla or Elon Musk kind of messaged, I think, like all of his staff saying, hey, yeah. if you want to work from home, then you can't work for Tesla. Right. He basically took away the work from home policy. If you're not working at least 40 hours a week, you can't work at Tesla if you're not in the office. So yeah. um, it's, it's starting to shift back. We're seeing more companies shift back. And it's interesting to see. Yeah, and I never really shifted away. Like we always were like, no, we, we have, we have the facility, we have the office, we're spaced out. Like we we're, we're working here and that's it. And um, I've had a few people that have wanted to kind of do the work from home thing. And it's, I've just never had a good experience with it. And, and it, like the way we're set up, you know, and every company is different, of course, but um, people are, in my opinion, are way more productive um, when, when, when they're at your site and you can look them in the eyes and, you know, especially little things that come up. It's so easy when you, you can just walk around the corner and be like, okay, Hey, what, what are we going to do about this? And then it's done. It's over with. Mm -hmm. So for me as an employer, I like that, but I can, I can understand why some people, you know, want to have that. And especially bigger companies, um, you know, people do find that, you know, an attractive piece. Mm -hmm. I think companies just need to be, have a really close finger on the pulse. Like you said, every company is different and every person's different. Some people can work phenomenally and are super focused and diligent at home. And some want to play with their dog every six minutes and, you know, go outside for walks and to get lunch. So it just depends on the person and the company 
there's a lot of ifs in, in this type of thing. But I think we're going to see when, you know, the fat lady sings, as they say, when, when, when all is said and done, it's going to be um, basically what happens when these companies do go remote or stay remote or go back to the office, what is the effect going to be? And there will be data on this. And I think it's just too soon to tell for a lot of people. Sure. Um, but yeah, we but I, I, yeah, and I would imagine there's, yeah, there's going to be percentages of, you know, a certain size company, you know, I don't know what, the, I'm just throwing a number out there, but maybe if they're required to come back to the office, you know, 10% or 20% may not come back at all. And they're, they're going to seek another opportunity. Maybe it's, you know, higher or lower than that, but yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of follow that and see, you know, how that trend changes. And, you know, as, as COVID becomes even less and less of a, you know, a factor or a fear, um, you know, I mean, a lot of these companies have significant dollars invested in buildings and infrastructure. And, you know, I see it even downtown Milwaukee here, we have a, a big, you know, investment company that, you know, had a beautiful new building that's been open. It was only open for a couple months and there's nobody in it. And at some point, you know, they got to have, they got to utilize that facility. Right. I mean, otherwise it's, and they have a lease or they're, they're locked into it, so they can't go anywhere. So at some point they're going to want those, those butts in the seat, so to speak, I, I would imagine. Just like big real estate companies, like big real estate companies, you see some of them shutting down shop on their brick and mortar, and then you see EXP growing, and you see two different models, right? The, the model of EXP can work for some people, and the model of Compass or Remax, who has in-office brick and mortars all over, works better for some people. So, um, yeah, I think sometimes it depends, but uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to actually see it all play out. Okay, perfect. So, um, what do you think... Uh, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you think it would be helpful to people, especially in the, the area of recruitment and, and, and getting, you know, nailing that right person? Anything we didn't cover? Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll just leave everyone here with this. There's a saying that says 80%, 80% or 20%, no, leaders spend 20% of their time recruiting and 80% of their time making up for mistakes in the recruiting process. And I think that's because it's just actually not as much of a focus for most people. Like recruiting comes when it has to. There's usually not much prep. There's usually not much of what we're talking about in terms of building relationships on LinkedIn, building a network, building a sphere of referrals. So it's less intentional in recruiting a lot of time and it's more reactional. Like what do we need when we need it right now? And if you take the approach of having this as a top of mind something that's really important to you, if you think about it, you're building a company, nothing is more important than your people. Your company is a reflection of the people who are in it at the end of the day, right? So if you're more, not more, depending on where you're at, if you are intentional about what you're doing with your recruiting process and you make it just part of what you do, and it's not 20%, you can kick that 20% up and make it more of a priority, then just naturally, just by putting your brand out there, by you know connecting with great candidates and people in the industry, you should be able to really improve your recruiting results. I think a lot of it's about focus too. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, you know, I'm just kind of using the, the the doctor analogy with that. And it's like, you know, you only go to the, the doctor, the emergency room when you're really sick. And it's like, it's, that's kind of like how the hiring is. It's like, oh, we really, really need somebody. We got to do this, but then you don't spend any other time on it. Whereas if, you know, you, you're doing the exercise or doing the posting and doing the, the other the activities, um, then when, when the time comes, it's a lot easier to just bring that person in. You're not like going to the emergency room. You're just basically bringing somebody in and, you know, I don't know. I just kind of look at it that way. Like you can kind of tie it to fitness and wellness. And, you know, if you do the proactive things, you don't have to go to the emergency room then. And think about it like this. It, it seems like a pretty simple equation when you draw it up like this, you have company A and company B who wins company B is reactive. They, they, they both need to hire, let's say a CFO company a is reactive. They say, Oh, I need a CFO yesterday. So we need to start recruiting now. 
Company B says, hey, which actually happened, hey, Matt, we want to hire a CFO in about a year to two years, but we want to start building our pool of candidates because this is a, probably one of the biggest hires we'll make in the next five years. So can you just start building a relationship pool for us and making some soft introductions, not for today, but for the future? Like who will win, team A or team B? That's the question, right? So if you're thinking about it, how do I outwork my competition? How do I get to the next level and win? Then it's that you could think of it like that, team A versus team B, which team do you want to be? Um, and I think if you have that mentality, then you will act in a way that aligns with that as well. And the results will show. So, um, yeah, that, that's probably what, that's what I'd like to leave everyone with. Yeah, that's great. I love that nugget. So if people wanted more information about you or your company, uh, how would they get a hold of you? You can find me on LinkedIn, just type in Mac Orgolinsky or big league talent connection. You'll find us on LinkedIn. You'll find us on other social medias as well, but LinkedIn's really where you find us most. And, um, we'll be here, we'll be here working. So. It's been a pleasure. I, I really love being able to impact the construction industry however we can. And um, you're doing such a phenomenal piece of, piece of work over here, David. So um, cheers to that. Well, I totally appreciate it. And I appreciate the insight. And this is definitely an area that, um, you know, we don't normally cover very often. And I think it's a, it's a good topic to have, especially these days and times with, with how short labor is, especially in construction. So hopefully this will be very helpful to our audience. And uh, again, huge thank you to Matt Gorgolinski of Big League Talent for joining us today. And uh, thanks for, for being on the podcast. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Home Building Hero, broadcasting live from the Bellman Home Studio. If you haven't already, please make sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future content. Until next time, I'm David Bellman, signing off.